And here we go. Fuck. Second episode. And um, ironically, you know, we received a meme on, on Facebook about how the second episode's demanded. So I thought it'd be really funny. So I contacted this person who posted the meme and essentially tricked him into going, well, if you want the second episode, come fucking record it with us. So our first unofficial guest on the podcast is Colin Gradwell. So is that you that did hey that? Hey guys. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I figured it was five minutes of my time just to show a little bit of love for Fury the podcast. Actually, I remember you did a very similar thing when I had that YouTube channel back in the day that yeah. I was experimenting with. You also, I think it was three episodes down and I like missed a week and you sent me a message and you're like, dude. I'll be honest, man. I, I actually, I'm, I'm a little bit sad that it stopped. There's... What I, what I realized that there, was, there wasn't really a market in South Africa for South African YouTubers at that time. Like, I don't think, I don't think we as an audience appreciate the South African accent, especially when it comes to that sort of content. We consume Western yeah. and European content. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah we're, not, we're not used to hearing ourselves. No, not at all. But I think it, it, it's a good segue to what we're talking about this week. So we're essentially talking about personal growth and a constant growth mindset. So um, the four of us are all business owners, and I think we've been independent for a number of years now. You know, we're <laughs> the unemployables, if I can put it that way. So, you know, I really wanted to broach the subject. It's been, it's been an interesting two weeks since the last episode, and a lot of what I've seen pop up online, a lot of it is focused around mental health, mental well-being, especially with men, um, and also just that growth. And I'm going going into 2022, you know, everyone goes, new year, new me, here's my resolution, and then it falls flat very quickly. So I figured what better way, let's look at that with four people that have been through the trenches, for the most part in our businesses, and and sort of discover what it takes to to foster personal growth. Cue Hardy does. And... Um, also to 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 foster that constant growth mindset because i think it's a, a pretty difficult thing um but yeah i mean kevin how long how long have you been your own boss now forever i've been unemployable from the time that i first tried to be employed <laughs> and uh, it uh, i've i've had jobs in inverted commas more like consultancies but um it's it's always been a matter of plotting my own course as opposed to um, not necessarily people that that you know having your course plot plotted by people that you don't respect but also not always thinking that you can do it better but being the master of my own destiny i think it's that independence yeah Yeah. so you live or die by your own decisions um and um i've i've um you know i've i've worked with a lot of very very smart people but the nice thing about working for yourself is that you can take the good and the bad um, from anybody and everybody that you work with and um, cherry pick what it is that you need to make a success of what it is that you do. So, so yeah, it's, and, and it's been a wild ride. So am, am, I, am I right in saying that, that you actually started the journey with, with no specific, shall I say, demand that you, you noticed or anything? You just sort of fell into it and figured out what the demand was after. Not, not exactly. Um, you, you know, I, I never ever decided that I wanted to do X, Y, or Z. 
um, you know, I always kind of attacked what it was that fell into my path um, with, uh, with the, the prerequisite zeal to make it a success. And um, touch wood so far, it, it hasn't been, it, it hasn't been bad. Um, you, you know, if if pe people ask me what I am, I always just say that I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur, which doesn't mean that, you know, I sell um, Rice Krispies. Um, it just it just means that well yet yeah it just means that you you know so many people are are blind to opportunity you know they don't they don't realize I mean I I've I, I own a consultancy called the next big thing and um and and that's really and truly what I believe that everyone should be looking for is the next big thing and a lot of people will turn around and say oh yeah you're just the next big thing the next big thing how big is the next big thing. How do you know how big the next big thing is until you embark upon making it as big as it can be? How long is a piece of string kind of? Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's actually interesting you like say that because a lot of um, a lot of people that like us, like serial entrepreneurs, like you say, have you noticed we can't sit and just do one thing? Like we'll be entrepreneurs, but with multiple multiple parts. I mean, even and I, I think that's it's not even that. I think it's I think it's a lot of people in the world at the moment. I mean, people have access to, to do so much more that you've got your person who's working on their laptop during the day and at night they're mining Bitcoins. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're doing something yeah. else. And, and that old cliche of, of, you know, not working hard, working smart, you know, automatically when you say that, um, the naysayers will go, just sounds like you're just lazy. And, and really and truly, you know, the, the, the things that I've been the most successful at are the things that have taken not much work in terms of hours, but a lot of ingenuity, a lot of smarts, um, a lot of surrounding yourself with the right people, um, and just getting it done. And, you know, people feel invalidated if they don't get up in the morning, have their first cup of coffee, kick the dog, <laughs> have their Rice Krispies, go out the door, kiss your wife goodbye. You know, walk back in at five, six, seven o'clock at night. Another thing that people feel validated by specifically is being the last person at their desk. You know, they, they, they think that they're the next up for promotion if they're the first to arrive and the last to leave. Mm. To it's, leave. it's strange that we've actually, like the culture has actually Absolutely. Like, created that, like that's mm. become normal. Yeah. And, and once again, you know, that's, that's very corporate. Um, that's very American. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, climbing the ladder, you know, and not worrying if the next rung in the ladder is the person that sits next to you's head. I guess it's um, also, it's, it's a very like early 1900s kind of thinking, isn't it? It's a very early 20, 20th century thinking. But I think it's also societal. I think, I think you, you know, the, the, the problem is we are so exposed through, through social media and everything to other people's success that we benchmark against that success. You know what I mean? So when we put when we set out our own goals, we go, we we put a timeline to it. We go, I'm going, I have to achieve this goal in three months. And what you're actually doing is subconsciously it's like I I bring them. Yes. So, you're the, the hardy dog whisperer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just gonna backtrack there for a second. So um but we we set those goals to a timeline and when we do that and we say, oh, we need to reach that goal within three months because so-and-so did it in three months and look at how successful they were, whether that's crypto or NFT or whatever you want to do. Um, when we benchmark that, we're actually subconscious, uh, subconsciously stunting ourselves. Because no, you're setting yourself up for 
inevitable failure. And the closer you get to that goal or missing that goal, the closer you get to that deadline, shall I say, right, the more you start doubting yourself. And I've, I've always just sort of, there, there, there's two things that sort of have always like rung through to me. And the one is do less more. And, and what I mean by that is take the time. Don't set, don't set the, 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 the goal to a time. Set, set an objective. Achieve the objective and look at the objective. And, and the other thing is once you've understood that objective, you know, I, I sort of look at it as not can I achieve that objective, but how far can I go? So, you know, instead of reaching the goal, how far can you push it? How far can you go? And even if you fail then, You've gone as far as you can go. So you you feel you feel the failure, but in a different way. You don't feel you've also learned something along the way that you push onto the next one. 100%. So so there, there's a couple of things that I'd like to to say, um, Chris. Not disagreeing with you. I'm I'm putting my my consultant's hat on, and it's it's all about it's all about goal setting. And I think very few people understand exactly how to set goals. Number one and you, you touched on something, and, and, and I'll address that next. Um, so when, when it comes to goal setting, there, there, there's, there's a few pillars of goal setting. The first pillar of goal setting is that any goal that you set needs to be worthwhile. So, you know, if, if you say that, you know, you want, to, um, you, you want to break your beer pong record, you know, it, it might be worthwhile in, in, in one sense or one context, but it, it's not a life goal. So if we're talking about realistic life goals, first of all, it has to be worthwhile. Second of all, it has to be realistically achievable because if you set a goal that's not realistically achievable, it's demotivating because you're setting yourself, for failure, setting yourself up for failure. The next thing is that there has to be a time frame. And, and I might be disagreeing with you, but I think the way that I'm going to explain it to you dictates that I'm not actually disagreeing with you. You, you, need, you need to set a time frame because you can't say that I want to be rich. I want to be rich. That's your goal. It's definitely worthwhile. It's probably realistic, it's realistically achievable. But without a time frame, how, how, how do you measure that? Yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I understand the premise of, of that. Like you, you need to, to add some constraints. But it's, it's very often that people... They, they put themselves in such a tight little box because they see other people's success and they benchmark their, their growth against other people's success, which is such a negative thing to do. I mean, luckily, I've always been a person that I don't really care too much about what other people think. You know, so that influence doesn't hit me as hard. You know, obviously you see people doing well, you see your friends doing well, and there's also a different quality here that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later on, but it's the quality of wanting to see the people around you succeed, you know, not, not actually feeling jealous of that or whatever. Yeah, and be motivated by their yeah, success, exactly. not resentful. 100%. And, and the last one is quantifiable. So it's worthwhile, realistically achievable, time frame and quantifiable. So using my previous example, you don't say I want to be rich, you say I want to make 10,000 rand within three months. That's a, that, 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 that's, that's a real goal. And then the second part that I was alluding to earlier on was that goals need to be broken up into horizons because the worst thing about goal setting is thinking that you've arrived is actually stunting your own growth. 
So if you do achieve your 10,000 Rand within three months, that's just the first horizon. Then you look to the next horizon. And on that basis, you then say, I'm going to take another three months to make 50,000 Rand. And I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, that I'm equating it to, to, um, to money, but life goals are not always money-based. You know, so I set a goal for myself. I set a goal to lose 30 kilograms and run a marathon. And I set a goal for a specific time frame. So I gave myself a year to lose 30 kilograms and run a marathon. And I did it in nine months. And it just made the whole thing so much better. And another thing that people don't do is they don't prioritize their goals. And the only way to prioritize your goals or the only way to prioritize what it is that you want to do in life is to write it down. And any of the, of the and, and I'm not for one second intimating that I'm a guru, but any of the goal-setting gurus will tell you the same thing. And the reason that you write your goals down and prioritize your goals in, in order of importance, if you wake up in the morning and there's five things that you need to do, and this is not necessarily a long-term goal, just your goals for the day. If there's five things that you need to do, you prioritize them one to five. If by the end of the day, you have only achieved the goal that you set for yourself, which was the first priority, you've succeeded. Because what you've done, what you've done is you've succeeded in doing what it was that you prioritized as your number one goal or objective for the day. And, and all that happens, hundred percent. Celebrate that You're win. giving yourself like psychological affirmation. Correct. For Most people will get to the end of the day and go, I had five things to do and I've only achieved one. I've screwed up. And that's not the case. Because if you prioritize them correctly, if you only manage to do goal number three, it's for one of two reasons. Either you prioritized your goals incorrectly or you weren't able to achieve for whatever reason goal number one and goal number two. And then you have to sit down with yourself and go, what did I do wrong here? What, what was it that dictated that I didn't do number one and I didn't do number two, but I actually managed to do number three? And, you know, people plan their holidays better than they plan their lives. You would never, ever dream of going to Cape Town in December without booking your flights three or four months in advance, booking your accommodation three or four months in advance, um, booking your car hire or, or your transport or your transfer from the airport to wherever it was. You would never dream of that. But yet what we do is we plan our lives on an ad hoc basis. And, and to me, that's a, it's a poor testament to the way that we live our lives. I mean, I think many things can probably be planned ad hoc, clearly, but, yeah, but not, not everything. Not things that are life goals like you're talking about. Yeah, we're talking about life now, life in yeah. general. I mean, something I think that you also you stumbled on there as well is like a lot of people will do that thing is I want to make a million but they never include any steps. And I think what you're talking about is including steps. Weirdly, it's like, it's the same, it would be the same as saying, if you're telling a story and you said, Adolf Hitler wanted to, or got, uh, got rejected from art school, one thing led to another, and the United States bombed the sovereign nations of Japan. I mean, yeah. it's like, yes. what? Where, where, where did all of that happen? Yeah, I mean, look, and, and, and I'll talk out to, to, to the washouts out there, but <laughs> because sometimes I feel that way because I'm very ambiguous in, in my goal setting. And it's because I, I look at goals more like objectives. I, I, I don't tend to call them goals. I tend to call them objectives because if your goal is to make a million, I look at that as that's the objective. You know, I look at the, 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 the systematic approach of figuring out how to make that million 
you, you know, whereas if you have a goal, you're going, I need to make a million. And you're still saying the same thing. But for me, I just feel more at ease and more comfortable to going, I know what my objective is. How I achieve that is now open, open to, it's open season, you know, and I can do whatever I want. And when it comes to measuring the, 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 when it comes to measuring the success on the way to that objective, right, I actually benchmark myself against the failure rather than the success. So I don't look at the W, but like, I mean, you absolutely have to, you have to celebrate the small wins. You have to take the small wins. People don't. Like people don't like they they underplay themselves. Like you'll be like, oh geez, you you managed to open a franchise. It's the first one. That's amazing. And they go, yeah, it's just one. But like, I want to get another five out. And you, and you go, why why sell yourself short? You know that small little win is as important as the million dollar deal. Well, that's the horizon it, thing. Exactly. That's exactly the horizon that I was talking about. Yeah. So I benchmark myself against the failure, and the 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 way I look at it is. When you hit uh, a down, so when are that when when that's a, an obstacle, or maybe you're having a bad like weak in headspace, whatever the case may be, something that that's causing you to to slow down or not reach that goal as quickly as you want to, or that objective as quickly as you want to, I look at that and I go, okay, what was the recovery from that? You know, how did I pass that obstacle? How did I recover from that obstacle did it take me two months to recover from it did it take me a week and i sort of keep track of that and benchmark myself against my failures going the the faster i can recover from a failure means the better i'm growing you know what i mean so the, the success is nothing because your success is insurmountable you you could be the next elon musk you know all of us can but how quickly do we recover from the failures on the way? Because that's where the problem comes, especially when it comes to a constant growth mindset. How do you stay constant despite the failure? Yeah, uh, like people who have made it, the Elon Musks, the uh, Bill Gates of the world, like, have, their, have their failures actually ever been publicized? Do people even know the stories? behind their failures oh, I, i'm sure they do i mean as as far as elon gun, uh, goes they, there's a lot of stories about his failures and and how things didn't go according oh, to really plan. yeah no definitely and but i think that's the, it's an important part of it because people get we are our worst critics man we we get savage on ourselves and we really need not not to you know what i mean if your goal changes from one year to two years that's okay you know, the reality is some dude made it in six months. That's his reality. It's mm. not yours. But also from a motivation perspective, those are the stories you want to hear. I would love to hear those yeah. stories. Be because you, you, you know where he's at. You know where, where, you know where he's, you know what he's done to arrive at where he is. But you'd like to know what's happened to him in order to get there. But also hinging on what you just said, the last element of, of goal setting is dividing up your goals into bite-sized chunks. You know the whole the old story about about how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. And and once again, I'm sorry, being getting a little bit technical. There's three types. There's strategic, tactical, and operational. So strategic is typically five years as a benchmark. Tactical is 12 months, and your operational plans are basically day to day. So if you break your goals up into going in the other direction, into tactical, operational, and strategic, 
it it just make it makes things a lot more palatable because you understand what it is that you need to do to get to that final destination um, as opposed to only focusing on the destination and another thing that's that's been really effective for me is that when when i when i think of what it is that i want to achieve i don't start at the beginning and work to the end you start at the end and you work backwards kind of like a maze yeah you start at the end and you work backwards because you you're working from the finished product back to the raw material as opposed to walking working from the raw material to the finished product because if you if you confront it that way around the components are far more obvious I think you've also got to learn to be a little bit flexible as you're busy going because sometimes you're going to have the goal of i want to be a instagram celebrity and as you go you start realizing that you're not the market for instagram you start swinging that over to something else i mean if that's your, that, your goal that's why failure is a powerful thing i mean it's uh, life is not life is abstract so to expect anything that you're trying to achieve to not be abstract and unforeseen things pop up is ludicrous you know what I mean? But Kevin, you're 100% right in, in looking at it from back to front. Working, working like that, so I did the same thing in my business where, where we went, what is the objective and work backwards. And the beautiful thing is, and, and I mean, I'm not someone that's risk averse at all, right? So that's just a trait that I've had since, since my childhood. What I've learned is there is a way to be not risk averse and still be calculated in your execution. You know, you, you don't have to run into the street facing the headlights head on, you know, but you can, you can by looking at the, the reality that a car might arrive, um, sort of figure out how to get to that objective by, by understanding the, the obstacles you might face beforehand. So it's definitely a powerful outlook. I think a lot of people miss that, you know, where they go, I'm going to start a business and they're going to go, okay, um, you know, next step is, let's say it's a car wash. You know, you start your car wash and then you go, okay, my next step is I'm going to wash someone's car. But if you looked at it from, I want a car wash that's going to do 150 cars a day and let me X amount per month, you know, then you can go breaking it back down. You're going to go, okay, I need this many parking bays, these many staff, these many buckets, these many mops. This is what I'm going to have to do in marketing. So it is a, it, it is a much more powerful way to look. I, I'm sure, I'm sure we've all heard the, the, um, the, the saying, that one shouldn't become a victim of one's own success. And so often that happens where if you don't plan from result to inception, because Donald Trump, bless him, is very, very famous for saying, fake it till you make it. And that works. Yeah, I'd like, I, mean, I, I, I don't really agree with his stuff, but I agree with Fake it till you make it works. So. And, and it worked for me. I mean, I, I, um, I had a, a scanner business and I found a supplier in Ireland. And I went over there to seal the deal. They were going to supply me with scanners, document scanners. And whilst I was there, I said to them, I looked around and I thought, this doesn't look like a, like a, a warehouse for scanners. In fact, I didn't see any scanners apart from the scanners that they were using. And I sat down with the MD and I said, what do you guys actually do here? And I said, um, and they said, no, we do document management. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, great. And that was the end of that conversation. Anyway, I got back. These guys were supplying us. And, um, I, and all I did was supplied and maintained document scanners. So I sold the scanners to the companies. Um, I mean, I, I, 
I had a good run. I mean, Standard Bank and Momentum were my first two customers. And, um, and that's what I did. And I got a phone call one day from the PRC, the Public Investment Corporation, the biggest company in South Africa. And they said to me, um, we'd like to know if you do document management. And I said, absolutely. You know, yes. Uh, well, they said, well, great. Would, would you like to come and see us? I said, yeah, absolutely. Put the phone down and I thought, fuck. And I phoned the guys in Ireland and I said, you guys said you do document management, right? They said, yes. I said, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> kind of long story short, it was a massive opportunity. Little old me in the scanner business. Um, you know, just, just because you grow, just, just because you farm beef, you know, doesn't mean that you can make hamburgers. And um, I convinced the guys from Ireland to come out. We went and we did a presentation to PRC and we won the business. But you were confident enough at that time Absolutely. to say yes. Well, yes, because if I'd said no, that would have been the end of the conversation. Would have moved on to yeah. somebody else and that would have been it. Correct. And we won the business. Um, it was the biggest, one of the biggest deals that these guys had ever seen. And, and we had the business for 10 years. Well done. Um, and, you know, that, that, that's just the proof. You know, if, if you don't necessarily know what people are asking you, you know, whether you can do or not, my advice is just say yes. You know, worst case scenario is you go back to them and say, I'm sorry that I, I didn't understand your requirement and this is actually not, you know, our strong point. But fake it till you make it. You know, as far as they were concerned, we were the document management experts in South Africa. And in order to get that business at the PRC, we needed to be. And I faked it and we made it. And, you know, it, it's, just, it's just a wonderful lesson. You know, you, you've just got to, you put your best foot forward. You never say no. But another very, very important element of that is don't bullshit. You know, it, it's not that what yeah, I was doing was… a fine line between… Exactly. There's a fine line between faking it and absolute bullshit. Because if you bullshit, you're going to do yourself damage, you know. Yeah, you're going to just destroy your own reputation. 100%. Um, but it, it, it's so important to back yourself. And that's the reason that, you know, whatever I've done, I've done relatively well. Some things better than others. I've had failures, the same as everybody else. But I always back myself. And that's, and that's one, one of, the, one of the, the, the core values of being an entrepreneur is knowing that you are the best person for the job. And if you aren't the best person for the job, you will find, you find the, the best person for the job to work with you in order to achieve the task. Keeping business under your own name moving forward, even if you're not the one who's going to do it, is one of the, one of the best ideas you could give a small business who's trying to yeah. grow. So uh, how do you deal with failure? Do you have a systematic it's approach? It's not a matter, it, it's, it's not the way that I deal with failure. It's the way that I define failure. I, failure motivates me. If there's something that I can't do, I try and find out what it is that dictated that I wasn't successful doing it and either decide that it's not for me because you, know, you, you can't, you, you, un, unless you are incredibly gifted, you can't, smash everything that you do out of the park and sometimes you just have to accept the fact that it's not for you or if you're capable of learning the lessons that the failure has taught you and making yourself better and dictating that you'll be successful in it later on then then that's what you need to do but i, I never ever lament my fate i never ever 
sit down and cry and go, why me? You know, someone taught me something very, very valuable. Every single time you feel inclined to ask yourself the question, why me? Change that question around to, why not me? And that inquiring methodology, asking yourself a different question, gives you a very, very different answer. Because let me tell you something, if, you've, if you are feeling sorry for yourself, if you think that anyone else is going to feel sorry for you, you're wrong, because you're doing a great job of it yourself. And people gravitate away. People move away from, from people like that. Because what you don't want is you don't want, if you decide one day that you're going to jump off a building, you don't want 20,000 people at the bottom of the building screaming jump. And, and that's, you know, to me, that's what it's all about. So, you know, fa failure, you know, fa failure is for failures. And, and I'm not one. So I, I don't embrace that in my life. Um, I don't allow it in. Um, it's a negative that, 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 that I just will not allow to define me. And, um, and, and it works. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's you. You make an important point there, and I I align with that completely. So failure to me as well. I, I look at it as as sort of part of the process, right? And and either you discover why that happened and you correct it, or you course correct. And that's another part that people don't tend to to discuss much is course correction. There is nothing wrong with redirecting yourself people feel like oh you know but i've built it up i've spoke to this about like the people in my circle i've spoke to it about you know uh, about it with with friends and family or whatever so you are forcing yourself to keep beating this dead horse when in reality it might just be doomed from the start and course correction would probably be better there's a lot of people i mean there, there are countless examples and if you want to take it down to to like its base principle look at certain cafe shops you know where those people had massive dreams and they go oh i'm going to start this little shop 57 years later still there just, still making just bitter, making bitter it through ends. to yeah exactly months, yeah. and and the reality is had you probably course corrected 50 years ago because i think if you give anything seven years and you can't make a success of it quit I would say even less than seven years. Well, the, the, that's the other thing, but that's pressure of growth. You see what I'm saying? I guess it also depends what industry you're Sometimes you're it takes at. time. Yeah, yeah. So, but the reality is you should have made some substantial ground over that period. You know, if not, then course correct because you're wasting your time. And the only victim there is you. You know, you know the, fact, the fact that you lost doesn't mean that you aren't going to reach your final destination. And, and that's a very, very important aspect to, to think about because it's happened to all of us where, where you, you, you think you're going in the right direction you know, and, and you stop at the closest garage and you say to the guy there, where is such and such a road? If you go to a garage and the petrol pump attendant doesn't know the road that you're talking about, you are lost. <laughs> because before GPS... The greatest source of direction information was the dude at the garage. But the fact that you realize that you lost doesn't mean that you permanently lost. If you abandon the destination, then you failed. But if you find directions to get to the destination, then you temporarily lost. You aren't lost forever.
But the fact of the matter is that if you weren't sure of your destination in the first place, you, you, you neither lost or found. Because if someone says, where are you trying to go? And you say, I don't know. How can anyone possibly give you directions? It goes back to where we started. Mm. It's, not, it's not making a goal in a practical way. Mm. Well, well, precisely. Precisely. So how can you expect someone to direct you to where you want to go if you don't know where you want to be? And, and that's, that's the, I mean, I think that's the essence of what we're talking about. So around this table, how many of us take a break or take a moment every now and then or actually schedule a little bit of downtime for ourselves to introspect, specifically to introspect, not to get away or have a piss up or whatever the case may be, but to actually sit back, reflect on yourself and, and introspect on your wins, your losses, trying to figure out what's the next objective, that sort of thing. Do you, do you ever sit down and like introspect? I think as, a, as an entrepreneur, it's dynamic. I think if you're not doing it all the time, if it's not ongoing, then you're missing a beat. I was kind of thinking now when you asked the question, I was like, I don't really do that. But then I think about it in the background. I'm like, but I feel like I'm doing that doing all, it all the, time the time without realizing yeah. it. So yeah, that's you, sort of where I was going with it. Yeah, you've ticked the box. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's really where I was going with it. It's, it's a constant outlook of understanding yourself, understanding your vulnerability, understanding your, your own abilities and navigating through that. So on the, on the outside, when people look in, they go, oh, here's so-and-so and they've achieved this, right? But they don't understand that on that journey, it's more probable than not that that person was eating themselves alive going, oh, geez, when I spoke to that customer, I could have done that better. Or when I made that deal, you know what, I came off a little bit childish or whatever the case may be. And we're constantly introspecting for personal growth. At least I am. I mean, you, right? were, you were in the, the advertising industry, 100%. like four clients, like pitching, doing that whole thing. And you know, like after a pitch, you're second guessing everything Every you word. said. Because you're, you're not given an answer immediately. So yeah. you're just sitting in this space of, I don't want to call it fear, but anxiety about did I do a good job? What were, what were they thinking? Like, did I misread that person? Should yeah. I have spoken? Like, and, and it's funny because, like, I mean, you and I come from the creative industry, right? And I'm still very active in that industry, even though I've started other businesses and whatever. And that's another thing that, that people sometimes restrict themselves with, where they go, I have to, how far can I take this one thing? Yes, absolutely agree with that mentality. But they restrict themselves to one thing. Whereas I've always been someone that I love to diversify. I want to try everything. And, and I love trying things and failing. That's also okay. I mean, like I bought a printing press. It's ridiculous. It's sitting in a warehouse. Do I absolutely love it? Completely. The one you had to drag with your Jeep. Yeah, 100%. Is it like a, and is it a manual? It's, it's a Heidelberg uh, windmill printing press. Oh, wow. One yeah. color kind of. Fucking amazing piece of machinery. And the, the funny thing is I've, I've had a love for these machines since I was a childhood. Do I have any experience in print pressing or letterpress? Fuck all. Do I, should I probably be anywhere near a letterpress? Probably, probably not. not. <laughs> but in the same breath, I'm going, why the fuck not? You know what I mean? Make it a thing. Enjoy it for what it is. Fail on it. Jeez, I, I had a grand scheme. I was going to get this thing up and running with it. Well, it, was, it is in functional order, but I wanted to strip it down and refurbish it and go through it. And um, I gave myself a, a, a little three-month time period. Well, actually, it was a little bit more like four or five months. But 
I gave myself a time period, I completely failed because life happens. You know what I mean? Shit happens and it's okay. It's okay. You know, and I just went, all right, that's fine. It's standing there. One day when you got the time, you'll pick up the thing as a hobby and it will become something again. Exactly. Yeah, but once again, as far as that thing is concerned, currently you lost, but you know what your destination is. Exactly. Exactly what you were talking about just now. It's just about changing course. Yeah, exactly. And another thing that, that really resonates with me is that people are always so ingrained in what they know. And we, we all know what we know. You mean like not, not willing to step out of a comfort zone? No, what we know. What we know. So, so Chris knows how to edit a podcast. I don't. Fuck, I don't. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make that abundantly clear. Okay. So, so yeah, when this thing's a bit of a screw up, guys, apologies, because Chris told us that he knows how to edit a podcast. But to me, it's more important. That confidence you're talking about. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's more important embracing what you don't know so i know what i know but i also know what i don't know and my dad rammed into my head my dad died 30 years ago but one of the lessons that he taught me that has lived with me forever is that an independent person is a person who knows exactly when to ask for help and no man is an island so there's only one way to learn and that is confronting what you don't know because if you don't confront what you don't know how can you ever learn because you're not prepared to admit yourself that you don't admit to yourself that you don't know something. And it's so important to be able to reach out to some my, my wife says that I'm lazy. I'm not lazy. Is she right? Though? I just no, she's not. In certain instances, yes, I'm lazy. I mean, I don't like changing light bulbs and mowing the lawn and shit like that. But I would rather give the job to someone that knows what they're doing and let them do it right the first time than me spending hours and hours, days, weeks, or months trying to achieve the same thing and only then confronting the fact that I actually didn't know. At the outset, I confront the fact that I don't know. And there's also the difference between being capable of doing something and being inclined to do something. And, and that's, that's where the art of delegation comes from. You know, I always prided myself in all of the businesses that I was involved in when I had staff and I have no staff anymore. But I always prided myself in the fact that I could do every single thing that my staff could do equally well or if not better. And you're 100% right. It's actually a weakness. I realized I think it's good to be down able the to line, know every role that's within your company. Yes. But understand it. But I insisted it. on knowing how to do it. And because I was the big deal, the big boss when I was a lot younger, I would say to them, remember, I can do your job better than you can do it. And if I have to do your job, then I don't need you. That's autocratic bullshit. Yeah. The, the, most, the, the most impressive thing for any boss or leader is to employ people that you know can do the job better than you can. That's when you'll be successful. Because you don't have to sit and watch them all the time, number one, and, and, um, and uh, uh, massage your ego you know, on the basis of that you know, you, you, you're the king of the world. And if there's any advice that I could give to anybody, Treat your staff well, pay them above average, and let them get on with the job. My opinion is your staff will never be as passionate about your business as you are. That's how I look at it. And that's why you earn the big bucks. Well, yes. That's why you earn the big bucks. But in the same breath, that means measuring a staff compliments 
success against yourself is actually a futile exercise. If you hire someone that is competent and they know what they're doing and you've hired them because they know what they're doing, leave them to get on with it. That's why you are the leader. It's your job to actually inspire because they're not as passionate about your company as you are. But what you do is as a good leader, you inspire them to do what's best for them. And by virtue, you get the best result, which actually almost looks like passion for your business. Because they're doing their best, you're giving your best to them, and they're inspired to go the extra mile. Whereas your passion, your native passion for your business is you'll go the extra mile. And as, as people like you, you have had stuff, I've had stuff, we're both back sort of at the same point now where, where we don't really have stuff. Well, I've, I've still got a small complement of partners and whatever in my business, but predominantly it's me. And when it comes to the creative stuff, it's only me. Uh, uh, you have a couple of staff members and people that work with you in, in, in well, your I mean, business. Before, before COVID, yeah. yeah, yeah. We... But going back, taking that step back, because that's the same reason I took that step back. COVID hit and we changed our model and we took that step back. And it's, it's funny because people forget you are the accountant, you are the sales executive, you are the T executive. Let's keep that gender neutral. Um, you're the T executive. You are, you are the marketing yeah, you, you're head. You're basically wearing every hat. Exactly. And that takes a massive toll. And the problem is what it does is it cripples leaders sometimes because you could actually be a really good leader. But then by the point you go back to having staff, you are so used to running all of it that you don't give anything to anyone to do. Yeah, it's, and it's you don't, macro you versus don't, micromanaging. It's yeah, totally. you don't delegate. And when you don't delegate, and there's, there's a massive, massive difference between delegation and dictation. Like if you're dictating what your staff do, you are a weak leader. If you are delegating to your staff, you are an enforcing leader. And the, 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 the key there is being an enforcing leader that inspires staff. So if you're on your own, right, the only person to inspire is yourself. And that is a big thing because how do you get through the cuck day? When you've got a bad day, your company can't just shut its doors. No, most of us can't just stop. I mean, I work in an environment where it's retail forward. You work in a service environment. You work in a service environment. Kevin, you work in, in all sorts of environments. And how do, you, how do you go despite the fact that I'm down or out or whatever the case may be? Maybe you're just sick, right? On that day, you still have to show up. You still have to somehow keep the business alive. And I think people, people don't understand those pressures, but the, the, the real question that I want to ask you to the group is on those days, how do you actually get up and continue? Well, first would be getting up a little bit later. <laughs> you know, you've got to take the small luxuries when you're working for yourself. It's a no bones day. <laughs> I take the day. No ways. Yeah, but if you've my, got my, to get something out. If there's a deadline, no, like okay, if there's a deadline, my business is very different. I, I fall under an artisan. Um, you know, it's it's like everything you guys speak of. I understand what you're saying, but I don't have the same issues. You don't identify with it because yeah. it's not what it's, you experience. It's, it's not like um, if I am having a bad month or if I'm having a bad couple of months. 
The only person to blame is me. Okay, so I've got a question that's more specific to your trade, right? Because a lot of times, delays or downtime for your business is caused by other third parties. So you'll arrive on a site or whatever doing an installation, getting an installation ready, but something's not done from the contractor side that makes it ready for you to come in and you have to wait for them to finish up before you can come in uh, come in so i know you and i have had these conversations one or two times where this has happened where they aren't ready for you to do your job which now costs your company a day it's down it's tools down so how do you leverage that day that's now going to waste to the best of your benefit like i know a lot of people would go well those companies still charge for that day you know what i mean but it's not, not all in, companies not do. in like not in my game. No Not way. Okay. You, 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 you'll be out of business so quickly. People so how do you leverage those days to make it something better than just, oh, fuck, I'm losing a day? You know, I mean, we all want to take a break, but I know there are certain days where you get frustrated when you can't just get in and get on with it. I can't be honest with you. I take the day. It's in my stride. I was here. I can't do anything today. If I've got nothing that I can plan or get done for tomorrow, then I take my day. It's that whole element. And, and I respect you for what you're saying, Ryan, because... There's this whole element in life of busy. Oh, fuck. Everybody <laughs> wants, don't get the me word started. I hate it. I <laughs> hate it. But you know what, Kev? I'm going to give this to you because I absolutely want you to get fucking furious about this. <laughs> because you know what? I cannot fucking stand it. And I think it's, it's one of the core principles between you and I. Like, I mean, and everyone gets busy, but you're going to break into that for a second. But I think, like, there's a lot of listeners out, that, uh, out here that this might be a little bit of a penny drop moment to you. But the word busy is an absolute fucking nightmare. Yeah. But busy, busy is a state of mind. It's not a state of being. You know, I don't believe that anyone is busy or too busy unless you convince yourself that that's a fact. And how, how often have you seen someone that you haven't seen for a while and you say, hey, Ryan, how are you doing? And they go, jeez, I'm busy. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, then why are you here? Yeah, but what does it mean that you're busy? You know, people have this intrinsic need to be busy because busy, if you're busy, it means you're doing a lot. It means you're successful. It means you're making money. Um, it means you're fulfilled. And it's all bullshit because people are trying to convince themselves of that. And the minute you say that you're busy, then you are busy. And what that means is that you shut that horizon down yeah. in its tracks. And you stop your growth. We have you spoken, growth, we, we have spoken about this before, and, and I can't remember if it was in the first one or the last one that we did that didn't work out so well. Um, but it's the story of the fleas in, the, in the, the glass aquarium type rectangular um, receptacle. And if you put fleas in this glass thing, they'll jump out. But if you put a glass top over the top of it, they'll jump and hit their heads. And this is a fact. They'll jump and hit their heads, jump and hit their heads, jump and hit their heads. If you eventually take that glass top away, they won't jump out anymore. Because what's happened is Big that condition. someone has created a ceiling for them. And that's what busy is to me. In all of the businesses that I've consulted to, in all of the businesses that I've managed, whenever I've had staff, I've outlawed the word busy because the minute you start saying it that's when you start believing it and th th this whole element of busy i mean i, I, I passionately hate th that whole that th th the whole concept of being busy you might be occupied 
doing something. But what, what does it actually mean? But there, there's a way to root out whether someone is being full of shit, if I can say that, or they're seriously busy. It's like if you follow that, ask someone, so how are you doing? No, no, I'm busy. If you follow that question up with making money, like I suppose on a personal um, front, like with my mates, I, I say, what, making money? And I'll either get yes, and then you know people are being productive. Yeah. Or no, just shit's going on. Then you know there's, there's not real, <laughs> there's nothing really going on. And that's, but but Ryan, if, if I phone you, and you forget to phone me back. And I phone you back again. And I say, Ryan, I phoned you two hours ago. You're not going to say, sorry, I forgot to phone you back. You're going to say, shit, I was busy. busy. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's okay, so so it's, it's, it's just that convenient excuse, you know, that, that overriding element that justifies you from not doing something that you know that you should be doing, could be doing, or must be doing. And it's, it's a problem. Busy is a massive, massive problem. Yeah. Busy, busy puts a cap on yourself, man. Like I, I look at it as this fucking barrier. Like you say with the fleas, you're, you're putting a barrier on yourself because if you, if you tell yourself I'm busy, right? Or you, even if you, you take five phone calls in a day, right? And let's say you're not fucking busy. You're fucking around. And we, 90% of the time you're fucking around, right? But you take those five, five phone calls and every single time you go, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Trust me, you're going to believe yourself and you've capped yourself. You're not going to do shit because you're busy. Right? You're fucking busy in your own mind. That's all it is. You're Not busy five. on TikTok. The first time you say it. <laughs> yeah, no. That's you've it. already planted it. obliterates the, the other four. 100%. And it just, it, it puts a cap. I fucking hate the term. And I mean, I'm, I do it myself sometimes. It slips out. But it's a social conditioning thing. Everyone's fucking busy. It's, it's as if we, we go, it's as if we say in society, if I'm not busy, I'm not good enough. Correct. And that's, fucking ridiculous again i'm going to reiterate this do less more i like that and people are busy being busy yeah and how productive is that because you ask them you're busy busy doing what answer your question ryan we're busy being busy yeah. <laughs> i mean look so at my we dog busy squared your dog is she's busy, busy. <laughs> she's yeah. busy fucking yeah. around exactly that's, that's what it is exactly just lastly chris in, in terms of, of leadership and in terms of um, relative success or failure of your business and the relative success or failure of the people that work for you, the, a massive distinction needs to be drawn between accountability and responsibility. And I'm talking in the context of, of, um, of delegation because delegation is, is, is very, very important. But you need to understand the art of delegation. And the art of delegation means that if you're a good leader, you will always and gratuitously delegate responsibility. But you can never, ever delegate accountability. And your staff need to know that. Your staff need to know that I'm giving you the responsibility to do X, Y, and Z, but I remain accountable. Because it's the difference between earning a salary and paying a salary. And if you are a good leader and you give your staff the comfort that whilst they are responsible, you remain accountable, then it's far easier to achieve the success that you want to achieve as opposed to it's, it's the difference between motivating your staff and blaming your staff. 
because it's very, very easy as the boss to blame someone else. But who's the biggest loser? Because that's one thing that people don't seem to understand, that they think that you're the guy that earns the big bucks. But not only do you have the most to gain, but for that privilege, you also have the most to lose. Yeah, and, and, and that's poorly, poorly, poorly understood. The resentment that staff have, they'll say, oh, that's not, yeah, I drive a Ford Fiesta and he drives a Mercedes SL. Yeah, what, what, what gives him the right? Why is he any better than me? I work harder than him. I'm busier than him. But he's the one that's taken all the chances. He's the one that's put everything on the line to get to, the, to, get to where he wants to be. And he's happy to take you along with him. But on that basis, you have to pull your weight as well. Yeah, but I, I do want to expand on that. And just there's a very big difference in, in how leaders portray themselves. And I, I feel that there's the consensus that the head honcho is always the hardest. You know, and, and it's actually piss poor management style. If, if you're the leader that shouts at your staff, you're actually not the leader. You know what I mean? It's, it's like the most knowledgeable person in the room is normally the one that's the quietest. You know what I mean? So there's there's humility. There's humility that needs to come with leadership. And, you know, Kevin, you refer to this as the big swear word, the big V word, vulnerability. And I've, I've really been harping on this for the last couple of weeks. But knowing your vulnerability is extremely powerful. Knowing your vulnerability as a man is insanely powerful. Because we are, we are societally conditioned to hide our vulnerabilities. So if you as a leader go to a staff member, there's absolutely nothing wrong with introspecting, going to a staff member and asking, do I make a good leader? Do I inspire growth? Where can I do better? Because that's the thing. Like it's, it's as if a lot of leaders or managers out there think it's beneath them. Like I'm the fucking best. You know what I mean? It's, it's the cars, the frat house boys that goes, I'm the fucking best. I don't need advice. I don't take your advice. Who are you? Thanks, Nova. Yeah, you're um, under me. Why should I? Why, you're under me. Why but, would you have anything to say that's exactly. going to, yeah. But if you want to grow, grow, fucker. Ask the questions. Learn about yourself. Because until you can actually face yourself, you're not going to fucking grow. You know what I mean? It's, there, there's, a, there's a lyric by Jason Banks that says, um, if you look too long in a mirror, you'll find yourself a stranger. And it's actually a beautiful metaphor for introspection because you'll look at yourself and realize, oh shit, I'm not nearly as fucking cool as I thought I was. I'm not nearly as good as I fucking thought I was. But all of those things foster a better you. It fosters better growth. It fosters better decision making. It fosters better, better um, management of your failures and understanding of your failures. That's that's my rant about fucking shitty leadership. No, I'm good. But it's just I'm, I'm good at my job. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you think you're allowed about, to be confident. No, hey, I've, I, ironically, a lot of people don't know this, but I actually worked for him at one stage. Um, yes, you got to nice me, hey. My uh, current employee, yo, look, that guy hates me. Look, that, that's true, but uh, I think you and I actually worked well together. I mean, I, I always took the long way around. You know, Ryan would be like, dude, here's a piece of fucking quarter inch pipe. Cut it with the grinder. I'd be like, nah, fuck that, man. Give me the hacksaw. give me the hacksaw. Yeah. And half an hour no, later, he's like, how's that going for you? you and I'm fucking sweating buckets. And try to break it with your leg. Exactly. And, and, and it's like, I took the long way around. But it, it speaks to who I am intrinsically as a person. I will discover. That's fine. But you think about what you just said, Chris. You know, in, in, in business, you have performance appraisals. 
And performance appraisals is the boss, the boss doing an appraisal on the staff. In how many businesses does the boss allow the staff to do an appraisal on him? None. When is he the subject? None. So you sit down and you say, right, it's absolute, it's a safe environment. Okay. You've had your performance appraisal and you've passed, failed. This can be done better, that can be done worse, et cetera, et cetera. How many bosses would sit down and go, okay, now every single one of you individually, you need to do an appraisal on me? Well, interestingly, in, um, in uh, uh, the WPP company of advertising, I'm sure you know of WPP, yeah. uh, their appraisal system was built kind of similar to exactly what you're saying. So we would do appraisals to um, the staff we managed as a manager. And then the staff would do not a face-to-face -face appraisal, but they would do an anonymous appraisal, which is actually quite, it was, it was one of the things that I actually really did like about the appraisal system that they did there. Generally, appraisals are a load of horse shit. They you really liked that are. it was anonymous? Yes. What, what you did is you, you would actually get a genuine response from your, the, the people you were managing to, to find out exactly what they thought of you. And the anonymous part was so that they could say what was on their mind without feeling like their job was threatened fear yeah without the fear being there they yeah. can actually state what but how good I mean, a, I, how good a leader are you if your staff are scared of you no terrible <laughs> i mean I, i'm you know i'm sorry that's the first thing that comes yeah. to mind so my my thoughts on that and and this is the 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 anonymity part of it is people tend to be untruthful under anonymity oh, really? so if you if you're having an issue with your boss you're going to amplify that because now you can hide you know, and I mean, I just go if, Unless if we the, look at how the people problem behave. is really specific, and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, so I, I actually, although I think it's brilliant that they're appraising, you know, staff are appraising leaders, which it should be like that. Um, I do also think it shouldn't be anonymous. I, I, agree. I agree with you. It I agree one hundred percent because because remember that your interaction with your staff. Let's say you're the manager and you're managing ten staff. You have a different an individual and different relationship with every one of the staff. What works for one doesn't work for the other. So if you, if you are the manager and you get this anonymous feedback, how are you going to know how to manage each member of staff individually yeah, I guess it if you're the getting individual it, the, pers it. The, the personal element of it? You know? so, so one guy might be sensitive. The other guy, you, you know, one guy might say that you're too harsh and another guy might say that you're too soft. If it's anonymous, how do you know which is which? So, so how do you get better as a manager? It's weird that you say that because that was actually one of the things that came up was that one person stated that I was too hard and another person stated I was too soft. So it's actually yeah, interesting see, that so you say that. That, that. that leaves you sort of in limbo again. Yes, so, and you don't, you, you don't know how to, how, how to apply or, or how to get creative with, with managing them because you don't know which is which. So, so it's a matter of being, it's a matter of being approachable. It's a matter of breaking that wall down. And it's a matter, exactly what you said earlier on, of being vulnerable. You know, it, 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 saying, listen, I, I know that I'm not perfect. If you start the conversation with, I know that I'm not perfect, it immediately, it immediately breaks down that barrier. You know, and then they go, okay, you know what? I always thought that you thought that you were perfect. I guess it's kind of like so now that leveling opens, the playing field correct, immediately. Correct. It opens the door. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't feel like you're coming to a soccer match with a cricket bat in your hand. You know? You know, it's, it, choose your weapon. You know, you, you, everyone is coming in 
completely disarmed. And that's that element of vulnerability that you're talking about, Chris. We all need to be more vulnerable. But even if you're a shit manager, if you're a good human, you need to get your staff to work for you for, for one reason or another. You know, and if it's rapport, you know, if it's you're, you're a good manager, you're a capable manager, you're an informed manager, you're a qualified manager, you're a nice manager, they will make, if you manage them correctly, they will make you look good. You and as much as they will climb up the ladder, you. you'll climb up the ladder with them. And, and that's, that's what it's about. So what you were saying there, Colin, you, you get a lot more out of people who respect you. And that's another thing with, within companies. If, 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 you're not, if you're not an entrepreneur or you're working for someone, um, because it's different when, when you're the boss, but if, if you're working within a company and you've got a manager that demands your respect, you do not have a leader. I'll tell you that for money or nothing. You do not have a leader. If they demand your respect, respect is something that is, that is part and parcel to good leadership and good relationship building. And if, if you cannot build a good relationship either with a staff or a staff member with a manager, well, you're both in the wrong place. You know what I mean? It's, it's, respect is not something to be demanded from someone. You don't, it doesn't come with a job title. It doesn't come with a salary. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, it's just, it, but you are 100% right. In, in companies where you respect each other and you understand that life happens with each other, we have our own things going on, you will always find a better team dynamic. I mean, Simon Sinek talks about this at length when he talks about company culture and, and how people deal with each other. By being transparent and honest about who you are as people, can you honestly make growth? I'll come out with the vulnerability. Here's a prime example of success and failures. If you take anything away from this podcast, this is the official second episode of Fury the Podcast. It's Unofficially, not the <laughs> it's the third episode of Fury the Podcast. Because last week, Thursday, we got together and I think we all went through the ringer after the first week of, of um, 2022. The second. No, I was still the first. Yeah, I was the second, technically second week. And I was in a really shitty headspace. I'm in a little bit of a better headspace now, but I'm still well aware of where I was. Um, and I think Kevin was in a bit of a, a funny headspace as well. And we really struggled to, to have a conversation. Um, and it was purely because we had felt a little bit of a pressure to perform and make it a weekly podcast like we said we would. Um, but trying to navigate a shitty headspace and then you've got the pressure. It just feels like you're forcing yeah. it. And, and we, we recorded on Thursday nights and Friday morning. I, I sent out a message to the guys and I said to them, Oaks, I've listened to the podcast and I'll be honest with you, I don't think we should air it. And Kevin said, I don't think so either. And that, although it feels like failure, and I said this to you guys, I said, Except although this failure, feels like a failure, I'm so fucking happy that even though we were all in a shitty headspace, we still were here on Thursday. We still showed up. And if that's what you take away from this, even if you have a shitty day, still show up. Just show up. Because you know what? If you look back where you are with your business, let's say you've been in business for 10 years and you've, you've had some really good wins and you've had some bad losses. Look back at your failures because I can promise you there's plenty. And you know what? You navigated through them. You're still here. 
anyway guys thank you so much for tuning in and and thank you guys for for having the conversation tonight i think we've covered a lot of grounds and i mean these episodes are lengthy they they will get shorter over time we are trying to to get them to a point where it's it's more digestible when you're on your way to work or whatever the case may be and thanks for joining um, us Colin. <laughs> <laughs> what you don't know is we've said that four times but this is the official outro colin thanks so much for joining us guys thanks for tuning in and yeah we'll we'll be back at it next week have a have a rad week out there everybody thanks for tuning in for this week's episode we hope you enjoyed it thanks colin for joining us we're sure we'll see you again um you already, definitely. Said, you already said that oh for fuck's sake you already said that <laughs> can i wrap this up <laughs> can i wrap this up so we can take these headphones off and fucking vape again. Kevin, Kevin likes his new headphones. Love you, bro. <laughs>